This week's reading comes from John chapter 6, verses 51 to 58. And it says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Um, it's been a big media week, if you kind of follow and are into those things, especially uh, in the life of the organisation that I currently lead, uh, Welcome to Australia and the National Initiative Welcoming Cities. And so on Monday, we did something that we thought was a relatively straightforward thing and wouldn't attract too much attention, but we gathered together uh, eight mayors representing local councils from across uh, Melbourne and surrounding areas to, to basically just kind of make a statement of solidarity uh, with the Australian Sudanese community. I'm not sure if you've kind of followed the whole African gang thing uh, in the media and, and politics, um, but basically what we wanted to do is bring together uh, councils who are members of our network nationally and just essentially stand uh, with uh, various leaders from the Sudanese community, um, uh, fantastic uh, leader by the name of Makia uh, Mayak, um, who's also a lawyer, uh, participated in the press conference. Um, and the response uh, was somewhat bigger uh, and attracted a lot more interest than we had anticipated. I think uh, by the end of the day, we'd attract 75 different reports uh, of the event across print, online, uh, TV and radio. We featured on all the news channels uh, in Melbourne that evening. And a lot of it was really positive. It was reported with the intent that we wanted, which was about trying to change the conversation um, and to try and uh, avoid this narrative of race baiting that is kind of happening in politics and media. Uh, some of it was less positive. Uh, we attracted the interest and ire of Alan Jones uh, on Sydney Radio 2GB. Um, but in my field, if you've upset Alan Jones, then I reckon you're probably doing something right. So, um, but it's also a difficult balance. We, we debated before we pulled together the press conference, uh, the risk, the risk that um, when you shine a light on those kind of topics and those communities again, um, and you get such a big media response, you tend to then open up that community uh, to further ridicule. And the community that you're actually trying to support can be subject to further attack. However, uh, I received numerous phone calls over the course of the day and then throughout the course of the week that were messages from people uh, representative of the Australian Sudanese community uh, and other Australian African communities uh, and people working with those communities and, and all of them just saying thank you. Thank you for standing with us. Thank you uh, for celebrating our contribution to Australian life. It really means a lot to us. Then on Tuesday, um, Senator Fraser Anning, God bless him, um, 
made his maiden speech in federal parliament uh, calling for a return to the so-called white Australia policy and a call to ban all immigration uh, of Muslim people into this country. It's a policy um, that was abandoned by the Australian government almost 45 years ago in favour of what has been a very successful uh, non-discriminatory immigration policy. And so I phoned my dad the next day on Wednesday morning uh, after Senator Anning's appalling speech, um, mostly just to kind of check in and just to see how he was doing. Uh, my dad migrated to Australia uh, in the late 60s uh, as a student who came out here on a scholarship to study civil aviation communication. And upon graduating, uh, he secured a job with the Department of Civil Aviation in the Australian government. My dad's a Muslim, uh, and according to Senator Anning and a handful of other Australian politicians, my dad is unworthy of entering our country. My dad is a proud Australian citizen. My dad is a generous, hardworking, and uh, has made significant contributions and continues to make significant contributions to many people and communities in this country. To be a visible minority in this country at the moment is a significant challenge. If your skin is darker than mine and it appears that your country of origin uh, is situated in the African continent, uh, if you wear a head covering, if you uh, have the wrong type of beard and appear to be of Middle Eastern origin, uh, then in politics and in the press and on social media, it's kind of open season. And uh, you're quite likely to be the target of race baiting, uh, of sort of very gross general stereotypes and vilification. And so it's almost as though uh, to be a visible minority in this country is to be less equal and to be less human. And so the reading from this week uh, quotes Jesus talking about living bread. And seemingly, at least on the surface, advocating some form of bizarre sort of spiritual cannibalism. It, it was a narrative that pretty much confused every single person who heard it in Jesus' time. And I'm not sure that we're actually that much clearer on it now. But this is my take on it. And we'll discuss this in a moment. But essentially, uh, my take on it is that in Jesus' Bread of Life discourse in the book of John... It exists as an invitation and he makes that invitation again and again and again to enter into uh, the mystery of how an incarnate God somehow becomes real food for people who hunger. And so Jesus attempts to assure anyone who would listen that by consuming his body that we too are consumed and transformed so that in turn, uh, we can transform the world. We can transform the world and our communities from death to life, from despair to hope, uh, from exclusion to welcome, and from judgment to mercy. And like all great mysteries, uh, the teaching is meant, again in my opinion, to be entered into and to kind of be lived rather than intellectualised. Um, in the words of theologians Richard Raw and Joseph Martos, we can never grasp a mystery, we can only allow ourselves to be grasped by it. That kind of surrender is needed if we are ever to receive the gifts of Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. It's proof that through the most humble and basic of foods, God has yet again found a way to be presence and present kind of to us and in the world. 
And I think it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that Jesus uh, welcomed those who were outcast and, and deemed to be less equal and less human than the people around them, and that he was also in turn then welcomed by them at the table. Uh, and sharing food was always such a joyous occasion for Jesus, through which he essentially rejected oppressive uh, social and religious laws in which he extended God's boundless love and mercy. And so this feast that he describes has become uh, something that is quite almost sacred. Uh, It's essentially the unique time and space in which we somehow receive God as bread and then joyfully share God with the world as the body of Christ. We're called um, found as a community for a few reasons. Um, One of those reasons is that we gather together uh, people um, who are diverse, which is great. Uh, And many of the people who are part of our community know firsthand what it is like to have their validity questioned because of who they were created to be in the image of God. And I certainly haven't experienced this as much as others, uh, both outside of our community but in our community, but I think it gets tiring. It gets disheartening. It gets exhausting when you consistently have to justify your existence and value as a human being. When you are deemed to be somehow less worthy because of either the colour of your skin or your culture or your gender or your sexuality or your ability. Um, To quote my dear friend Brad Chilcott, belonging is a gift given by a community that has been set free from fear. And so Jesus, as living bread, invites community and invites belonging. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would offer the gift of belonging to each other, that we would offer that gift to the visible minorities in our society and that we would be a community that has been set free from fear. Amen. That's my prayer.